Hello and welcome to a very special episode of the ID Talk podcast, presented in association with our premier security industry partner, ISC West. Due to COVID-19 concerns, ISC West has been postponed, but we are working together with the conference organizers to keep the converged security conversation alive through our digital channels. That's why today I am so pleased to present a podcast version of the Find Biometrics panel originally scheduled for ISC West, Understanding Security, Convenience, and Privacy in Today's Biometric Systems. Moderated by Susan Stover, Vice President of Digital Content for Find Biometrics and Mobile ID World, the panel brings together leading industry experts to talk about biometrics in the converged identity landscape, the experience of biometrics in the evolving enterprise, security and scalability in biometric systems, and the ongoing privacy issues facing the biometrics industry. The discussion, of course, touches on the role of security during the pandemic crisis facing the world right now, and looks to the future of biometrics in the workplace. Before we jump in, let's set the stage. Over the past five years, the biometrics market has evolved at an incredible pace, with biometric authentication and identification technology rising from relative obscurity into mainstream usage across myriad vertical markets. The wave of biometric deployments for identity and access management in enterprise, border control, financial services, and consumer devices has greatly outpaced the speed of regulation, but legislation is catching up creating a climate of controversy and conflict around biometric solutions. It's more important than ever before to understand the best practices around implementing and using biometric systems in the workplace. Those are the stakes of this panel discussion, so let's jump right into it. Without further ado, here's ID Talk Susan Stover in conversation with Rob Douglas, founder, chairman, and CEO of BioConnect, Maxine Most, principal analyst of Acuity Market Intelligence, Gary Jones, Vice President of Global Channel and Marketing at Idemia, and Joey Pritikin, Chief Product Officer at Paravision. Let's start with something that's on everyone's minds. The current state of pandemic is making everybody especially conscious about touching surfaces. In the biometrics industry, we've already seen a shift to contactless, touchless, and even completely frictionless security over the past few years. How can modern security technologies contribute to a more hygienic workplace? Max, can we start with you? Hi. Yeah. Um, I think the biggest thing that we need to start really looking at, and it's been a topic for some time, which is how we really implement really, you know, touchless biometrics. And obviously with the move to facial recognition, we've seen a lot of that. And I think that's going to be an issue. And I think the other issue along with that is going to be biometrics that are touch-based are going to be on your personal authentication device, which obviously these days is our mobile phone. So I think it has serious implications for the industry because I think the touch-based reader market is going to really be impacted by this. And we have to adjust the way we think about deploying the technology and implementing the technology in a way that's going to support a much more hygienic approach to biometrics. And Joey, what are your thoughts? Well, you know, from my side, I feel like touchless technologies have been coming quickly anyway and sort of feel like a force of nature just due to usability and consistency. As Max mentioned, you know, face recognition has come on very strong for some of those reasons. One thing that I'd raise, though, is we're in this new era, even over the last few weeks. It's, it's been coming quickly, but it's now accelerating where remote meetings are going to be the norm. 
And so I think there's a real opportunity here for strong identity as well. So who is on the other line, right? Can you trust them? Are they who they say they are? And I think that we as an industry have a tremendous amount to offer in this regard. Rob, what are your thoughts? I think that's actually a really interesting comment uh, that, you know, now everyone has gone remote in terms of uh, digital meetings. And I, th I think it's a new frontier of authentication. So I think that's a really interesting observation. From my perspective, uh, yes, touchless biometrics as a solution has been, you know, in the market and on the horizon for quite some time. And now I think it's here in full force. And I see two types of answers to that. Well, probably just three. Uh, one type is, you know, biometric devices uh, that are, in fact, are touchless, whether it's a face or some other form of recognition that are connected to the door system. Another one is actually bringing the biometric authentication right to your mobile device and not even touching a door, but rather than just communicating or doing a facial recognition to your phone would be the second. And the third is a new frontier is actually face recognition algorithms that are right built into your video surveillance systems where uh, just by by the recognition of who you are through the camera, it's being able to authenticate you and unlock the door. So I think there's three scenarios there. Uh, the one I want to just draw a little bit of attention around is the second one is that there's another vector that people are worried about, which is controlling their biometrics as opposed to having them sitting in a server somewhere. And so I think there's also another push towards bringing biometrics to the mobile device under the control or management of the individual as something that's important around privacy. And Gary, what's your input? Yeah, I think to, to add on to, to that, um, the good news is that the biometric industry has been very proactive in terms of releasing touchless or contactless technology now for some years, and it's become uh, very well proven in certain markets. Uh, you know, we, we always promoted the hygiene element of both touchless you know, fingerprint systems as well as facial recognition systems. Uh, not, not that any of us could have foreseen how critical, you know, it would become at a time like this. But I think the important message is that those systems are in existence and being put to good use today. Uh, we also need to realize that there, you know, it's, it's a very valid point that more and more people are going to be working from home, but a big part of the economy will continue to rely on people's physical presence, especially in manufacturing, distribution, etc. So it's really key that we're able to use these technologies that have come along in recent years to keep those environments safe and use the technology to positively identify people in uh, sort of those high throughput contactless environments. Also talking about the digitalization of business, physical and information security are currently converging. How do biometrics fit into the emerging converged security landscape? Rob, why don't you start us off? Well, this particular idea is probably, uh, I can think of it, it's lasted at least 15 years. So the industry, we, we as an industry have looked for a way to unify identity digitally and physically for a long time. And, um, and biometrics have always been a part of that potential solution. And here we are in the year 2020, and you actually now can do it. Like it's, what is sort of cool is that you can actually use biometric authentication for getting access to your digital applications and using the same authentication to get access to your physical spaces. And you can tie those two things together. Like it's always been a long dream that, you know, why should a user be able to authenticate into their digital apps if they've not yet confirmed whether they're actually in the building? Well, you can now tie those two things together. It's similar, like if you're working in your home, you're using a VPN, higher security authentication to get into your digital assets. Now you can actually uh, provide that authentication physically and digital. And 
many different biometric types are possible to do that. So you could use face recognition or eye recognition or voice recognition. You can also even do behavior. So systems today can actually calculate and form trust scores based on your behavior to determine what the likelihood that it actually is. So what is neat, I think from this year forward, is uh, that answer that the solutions now exist in the market to make that unification possible. And Max, what are your thoughts? I agree basically with with what my colleagues are saying. I mean, it's the situation that we're in and the crisis that we're facing, I think is going to accelerate the adoption of a lot of technologies that have been around that people have been saying, yeah, this is great technology and, you know, we got to get to that. And I just think we're going to see a lot more focus on integrating the technology to work in an environment now that the environment's going to be multimodal. You know, we're, there's still obviously real, genuine access for real people to real things in the digital and virtual world. But I think it's going to be, we're going to start to see this landscape that is much more integrated in terms of, you know, I guess the line graying in a way between what is digital access, what is real access, what is virtual access, right? As we sort of navigate in a landscape that is going to really put new demands on authentication technology. And uh, Gary? Yeah, so I'll I'll add just a different um, perspective on this. One one more example to support what's already been said. Um, We're also seeing a dramatic uptake in leveraging mobile devices for storing credentials like government issued IDs, for example, driver's license projects where now you can store your uh, essentially a virtual driver's license in your mobile phone and unlock it with the, with the biometrics embedded on the phone, whether it's facial or fingerprint, and automatically share that with a government official that needs to validate your identity. So we are definitely seeing more and more use cases where uh, digital ID, both biometric digital ID and unlocking or sharing that through biometric authentication is becoming more commonplace and uh, particularly here close to home in in several states in the U.S. And Joey, how do biometrics fit into the emerging converged security landscape? Well, I think in addition to what everybody's said really well, one of the most interesting points of convergence is between physical access control, logical access control, and video security. And I think, you know, Rob kind of um, hinted at that before in the discussion. What we're seeing in video security is that biometrics and face recognition specifically is creating a bridge between these traditionally very different areas. So as Rob said, well, you know, for the last 15 years, we've been talking about convergence. One of the neat things that's happening is because face recognition is now accurate enough to be a unique identifier, even in video, we're being able to, we're we're in a position where we can converge these different spheres. And so instead of just confirming identity at distinct touch points, we're now able to do this seamless handoff between purpose-deployed terminals, video security systems, PCs and mobile devices, as Gary talked about, right? Now trace identity through this hazy line of physical and digital, as Max was talking about. While the convergence of physical and information security is undeniable, there are still major differences in locking a door and securing a digital channel, which seems to be much better developed. What are the best practices for the physical authentication side of the equation? And what does a robust converged security policy look like? Rob? So up until recently, anything to do with physical authentication had its own solutions. And anything to do with digital authentication had its own IT solutions. And these authentication um, solutions or tools that have been developed and innovated have never talked to each other. 
So the physical world is doing its own authentication. Digital world is much more advanced in terms of doing authentication in digital applications. So the neat part is you can actually go to the digital world, take digitally approved authentication technologies that the IT and the Security Operations Center of IT have already approved, and now bring them to access points. And that problem has never been solved that way before. And now a user can actually be using their digital authenticators to get access to buildings or workspaces or server cabinets or vaults or whatever their physical access requirements are. So in doing so, you've actually now just unified the enterprise because you've that user who's used to using their authenticator. And by the way, there's you know, the market leading authenticators out there include Duo Security, Ping Identity, Microsoft and others, these types of solutions and now can be used at access points. And by doing so, you actually have a unified identity of, of one person. And Gary? Yeah, so we we certainly see that um, the, the reality, as Rob had said, this has been a, a promise or a dream for, for you know, almost two decades now, and it's but it's very rarely been materialized in, in organizations, even, even very big organizations. Um, but with more and more standards becoming available around the biometric storage and formats, uh, as well as things like the PLAI Alliance for uh, achieving more interoperability between even be between the access control systems, because believe it or not, that in itself was a, a big drawback to large enterprises in the past from achieving physical and logical interoperability. It wasn't just trying to get one logical system to talk to one physical system, but in big enterprises, you often had multiple physical access systems as well. So the fact that we're now starting to see some genuinely beneficial standards come out, this is definitely helping the cause uh, a lot. So we're starting to see more uptake in this space as well in uh, recent months. And Joey? So I'll come at this from a slightly different perspective in terms of best practices for physical authentication. From our perspective, one of the most critical factors here is on the liveness and anti-spoofing side, right? So as biometrics is becoming a dominant form of strong identity in the enterprise, this is gonna be a critical perspective on what the industry refers to as presentation attack detection, right? So this has always been a consideration with biometric identification, but I, I think the reality is that the emergence and rapid expansion of face recognition is making this much more urgent. I mean, sure, you could have spoofed many fingerprint sensors in the past with gummy bears or, or whatnot, but we really never saw that as a major threat. But copying a face in the most basic sense is, is much easier. And so I think presentation attack detection will be even more important uh, when considering best practices in the set of things. And Max, what does a robust converged security policy look like? Well, I think we have to start considering really integrating these concepts of data ownership and what constitutes secure data management around these policies. Uh, you know, one of the things that I've been advocating for for a long time, for example, is that you never store biometric data with other PII. You know, and, I, and that when you do store any kind of personally identifiable information, it has to be done in a way that is designed to be really locked out, not data mined. And the problem is with so, so much of our data structures now are based on relational databases, which are all designed to be mined. So I think, you know, in terms of integrating the technology, we're, when you start integrating physical and logical security, you're now essentially tracking people's movement through space. 
And then when you combine that with facial recognition technology and, you know, essentially video surveillance, even within the context of an enterprise, we really start down a road which can be really dangerous and tread on people's personal privacy and liberty. So I think we have to, when we talk about integrating these systems, we really have to talk about not just security policy from a technical standpoint of how we implement it, but also from the impact that's going to have on people in terms of keeping this kind of really sensitive data in an integrated fashion that provides, you know, a level of insight into people's movements and behaviors that, you know, I think we have to be very, very careful about. There are two major biometric authentication paradigms, on-device and on-server. With the convergence of physical and information security, how do these methodologies fit into the modern enterprise? Gary? Yeah, so uh, this is somewhere or well, something where we still see a lot of diversity and it's necessary as well. Um, different industries will require different uh, approaches. So obviously, when it comes to you know identification systems being one-to-many, typically it, it requires a database to be uh, stored either on device or on a server. When it's authentication-based, you have a bit more flexibility as to where the data is stored, either on the phone or a card or token of some sort, or, or again, on a server or device that gets uh, referenced. The, the reason I say that it, it's, it needs flexibility is that uh, in certain organizations, you don't have the option or the uh, benefit to force one approach over the other. Um, it could be mandated by what's accessible or available to the employees at the point where they're checking in or clocking in. Whereas other, in other environments, the security protocols might, might dictate a, a certain uh, solution. So today, uh, I think the important thing is that most biometric vendors are making sure that their technology can support a, a host of different authentication approaches, as well as different approaches to, to data storage as well. And Joey? So if we focus on the identification side of, of what Gary was just talking about, there's um, server-side matching and then there's device-side matching that could still be identification or um, centric, right? And there's solid reasons to support both server-side and, and at the edge or on-device, especially in a physical access control context. On-device solutions enable you know, robustness against network failures, better user experience, and in many cases, lower latency. And yet, you know, centralized matching has just gotten a lot cheaper and easier with hardware commoditization and proliferation of cloud services. Obviously, in either case, there needs to be a, a very strong policy and technology implementation around privacy and security of private information. But broadly speaking, we tend to look at this in, in a hybrid context. So it's almost like there, it's an IoT take on, on biometric authentication where the edge and cloud work uh, in synchronization together. And Max, what are your thoughts? I really agree with what Joey said. I mean, I think that what we really have to talk about is not thinking about these things as two independent methodologies, but rather as approaches based on the level of security or risk for a particular application or whether or not those applications are dependent on other databases. For example, if you're onboarding someone and you're you're using a physical document that has to be scanned, validated, and then checked against another database. So I think there's a lot of complexity to it. And I, I think this idea somehow that we can divide the world into sort of on-device and centralized database applications is really a limited vision of 
the way integrated biometric approaches really need to be used. And Rob, what are your thoughts? This used to be religion. Uh, you know, you, your authentication paradigm is, you know, you're all for on device or you're all for server. And I think where we've come to is you actually need both. I think my colleagues, I think, have done a very good job of giving uh, the perspective on this question. And it is use case driven. It's application driven. It's also company driven. So uh, any of those can affect where the authentication should be occurring. And I think in this day and age, you've got to be able to work in a world where you could do either or both or do them together, as Joey was mentioning, hybrid. So I think that's where we are right now. We're past the religion. We're on to they actually have to work together. Mobility and connectivity has changed the modern workplace with short term contract employees, remote workers and shared workstations, not to mention gig and sharing economy business models. How can biometric security fit into the new modern workplace? Joey, can you start us off? So this is similar in a lot of ways to the secure video conferencing or remote working um, discussion from earlier, but it's really all about establishing trust, right? So in a traditional context, there's so many ways that we can establish trust. You're from a certain family or a certain town or a certain school or a certain company. You're you know, recommended from somebody, that type of thing. But in this new approach to business, how do we know who to trust? Right. On one side, the trust has to be vetted by the service providers themselves. But how do we know that the presented identity is authentic, right? that the person is who that they say they are? And so here, this is the critical link for biometric authentication in this new business arena. And Max? I think we've already seen a lot of this, this happening, you know, really in terms of biometrics being used in a lot of these scenarios. And I think it's just, you know, again, given the context of what we're dealing with with the coronavirus and the real, I think what we're going to see is radical, not only a radical increase in the amount of virtual communications and experiences and meetings and conventions and trade shows and education and on and on and on, but we're going to start really pushing and stretching the limits of that virtual technology. And as we do that, the need for increased vigilance around authenticating the parties that are engaged is going to become even more of, of a critical issue than it is today. Rob? I think um, the one thing that um, does concern me is that in all of this new environment where people are remote and mobile and they have to find ways to authenticate, people are turning to the on-device biometrics to use those as what they would call is a biometric authentication. And and it's not right. I mean, uh, well, it is right in terms of it's an easy way to get into your phone because really it's, it's operating like a lock to your phone, but it's doing nothing towards establishing trust because the enterprise or the application needs to be able to be bound to the biometrics and to the individual. And so I think people are romanced into the idea that the on-device bio is the answer to bringing stronger authentication to this uh, modern workplace, and it's not correct. You really have to be able to find ways to use biometric authentication on-device technologies that are controlled and managed by those who are controlling the data or are controlling the, act the actual application. Gary, how can biometric security fit into the new modern workplace? Sure. So I think the, the other important piece here is that coming back to spoof detection. Um, so I'll talk about both the challenges and the ad advantages that biometrics can play. The, the challenge 
component is obviously standardization. If you want to have strict enforcement of, of authentication or identification, typically you need to standardize on, on the technology to make it more manageable and more predictable. Uh, spoof detection, whether it be you know on, on a device like a cell phone or some other embedded device or even using the camera on your laptop is, is something that the industry obviously has been working on for a long time. There are different levels of spoof detection. We've seen the need for such systems in the past, for example, for remote learning when students have to take, for example, you know, exams remotely. There have been many different use cases or even things like remote voting where the need for this technology has existed before. With the potential changes that we're seeing today, this kind of requirement will get even stronger. And it, it certainly um, presents a, an opportunity, I think, for the industry to push the boundaries even further when it comes to strong spoof detection. How important is the enrollment and onboarding process in terms of keeping today's modern enterprises secure? Max? Well, I was alluding to this earlier. It's really, really critical. And this idea, and I think it goes to what, what some of my colleagues are saying here in this discussion, is that authenticating or relying on a device our mobile phone to be the arbiter of validated, trusted, authenticated identity is just not really enough. And so the idea of trying to create any kind of onboarding application without centralized access to a trusted source that can validate identity makes the entire chain of trust essentially fall apart. So it's absolutely critical. And we, I think, you know, there's a lot of onboarding solutions out there right now, but I think we are just beginning to really understand how we can do reliable onboarding so that we can move to a place where we really can accept not only digital credentials, but the validation through these mobile devices for really high risk, high security applications. Gary, do you have anything to add? Uh, just a just a very quick comment about the necessity in certain uh, sectors to do proper background checks as well and proper duplicate checks, uh, particularly to ensure that a person does not exist uh, already in the database under a different identity or with different uh, credentials of some sort. And obviously, that's another key advantage that an identification-based biometric system can offer is to screen out those potential frauds or fraudulent attacks. And Joey, yeah, the one last thing I'd add here is that. It's kind of cool. Onboarding is just much easier than it's ever been before because we have mobile devices with cameras on them. And because face recognition is now emerging as the dominant modality, you can onboard or enroll employees or short-term workers or visitors, whatever it might be, um, using their own mobile devices or PCs for registration. So, of course, there are three other ways that the information is secured and ensured to be accurate. But the mechanism for rapid proliferation of biometric onboarding is already in our pockets. There's an administrative efficiency aspect to having strong identity at the core of an enterprise security system. What are some of the ways businesses can work more efficiently with biometrics? Gary? Sure. So I'll tackle, you know, tackle this from two different elements. The one is from uh, just a pure physical access control point of view um, in terms of the uh, efficiency and speed that the technology can offer. So from a pure security or access control point of view, it's about getting people onto the, onto the premises to be able to do their work in a secure way, on time and efficiently without causing extra delays. And that's been something that incrementally the industry has helped that to occur 
not only more securely, but faster and faster over the years, with, especially with frictionless technology coming into play. And that has a lot of efficiency, not only for, for the employees and the business as a whole, but particularly for the administrators of the security system who have less overhead in terms of managing, for example, a, a population of cards that can get lost or damaged or, or stolen. The other one is also from a time and attendance point of view, because it, it feeds in a lot to, to the productivity of an organization, being able to put employees in the right place, working on the right projects at the right time. And those are two areas that we still see a, a very high demand for biometric use cases, which have a very clear return on investment and efficiency value. Uh, Rob? For me, the um, what really stands out for me is that human nature is to go and pick their favorite biometric type inside of their you know hardware choice that fits for them at that moment in time. And to be efficient and look at this over the length of over time, it's to not do point-to-point integrations with one particular biometric, but to have a strategy and or a platform that's going to allow you to consume all of them. And if you take, if you take a, I'm going to consume all of them type of an approach, you're going to be more successful. Uh, you won't be tied into any particular one, and you will be able to adjust over time to changes in innovation and different biometric types uh, serve different use cases differently. So I think if you take a platform approach to it, as opposed to a point-to-point integration approach, you're probably going to find the total cost of ownership and the efficiency of these type solutions for the enterprise much more successful. And Joey, what are some of the ways businesses can work more efficiently with biometrics? Well, the first one that comes to mind is, is close to what Gary was talking about, but a little bit different around visitor management. The flux associated with visitors coming into workplaces is significant, and the need to verify identity is pervasive in those scenarios. Um, even in less secure environments. So a modern take on visitor management can dramatically decrease wait times for visitors and streamline processes for employees alike. So the right approach to visitor management would use something like a mobile app and would be intuitive and secure and it would reflect well on the company uh, to all who are involved. From a different perspective, I think a really interesting area is automating the manned guarding side of physical security. And the reality is that that people are great at some things and machines or algorithms are great at others. And, you know, looking at this more from a, a computer vision perspective than just like a biometrics or identity perspective, you know, in a human in the loop approach to artificial intelligence, a face recognition and computer vision platform could help to augment the human resources. And that would enable lower cost and better efficiency and it would enable the people to focus on what they do best while offloading tasks that are better suited to automation. And Max? Well, just, you know, adding to what Joey said, I think when I think about what's happened with sort of the biometrics revolution in the last five years, with really the widespread adoption of biometrics based on mobile devices, I would look to what we've seen with airport facilitation over the past five years or so, which, you know, prior to this, uh, sort of global calamity was, you know, in full throttle. And we'll see what happens with that sort of as we go through this whole coronavirus issue. But if you think about it as a template for facilitation, what I would say is really looking at enterprises integrating that level of facilitation, not just visitor management, but really the entire spectrum of physical and logical access from the perspective of kind of seamless flow. And that to me would seem to be a huge opportunity within the enterprise space to just introduce a lot of frictionless access 
for both physical and, and you know, logical use cases. The value proposition of biometric security is greater convenience and greater security. But for the past decade, especially in more mainstream biometric solutions, the convenience half of the equation was leading the way. How has biometric technology evolved recently from a convenient technology to a frictionless security technology? Joey, can you start? Yeah, you know, it may be a tired trope already, but I think the iPhone's a perfect analogy here. Touch ID moved us all away from pins because, you know, well, pins are awful. But now with Face ID, we've got something that's significantly more secure than a pin. And oh, by the way, a much better user experience. And I think we'll see the same thing play out in the enterprise. So if we look at it, you know, card swapping as an example is inherently insecure, but until we as an industry provide solutions that are more convenient as well, we won't see a shift in end user behaviors. But if we do it right, then we'll get to this frictionless and secure approach. Um, that's a win-win from a security and user experience perspective. Uh, Gary? Yeah, so um, on the frictionless side, th this is where I think the industry, the biometric industry, has seen the most gain um, in, in recent years, sort of starting in 2015. Um, and what's great is that it's available in the form of both facial and fingerprints. So there are, there are very strong options for high speed and high throughput, especially frictionless access control with both touchless fingerprint technology as well as facial recognition. And the reason that having both of those is available is because, for example, in some regions, you know, even, even today with the mask issue uh, because of the virus, Perhaps in some locations or at some times, facial may not be the best option. Uh, on, the, on the flip side, it's in some locations, if people are wearing gloves or certain uh, gear on their hands, maybe fingerprint is not the best option. But both of those modalities and the technology to support them, especially with the AI uh, advancements, which, by the way, um, AI has had a huge impact both on fingerprint and facial in recent years. But today, there are many organizations that are using frictionless face and frictionless fingerprint technology to handle very large numbers of employees. And, and typically, it's the large enterprises that have anywhere from 50 to 300,000 employees. So the good news, it's, it's completely proven technology just in the last five years alone. Max? I would just go back to what I said previously about using the airport facilitation experience as a model. Um, I think, you know, when we were talking about biometrics on our smartphones, in most scenarios, though there are certainly applications and use cases where it's not true, but in most in most scenarios, it's authenticating yourself to a device. And it's great, you know, as Rob said, to unlock your device and do some basic, you know, business on your phone, so to speak. But I think what we've seen in this airport environment, again, is directly, it kind of, in a way, sets out a path, if you will, for the enterprise and really you know, using that combination of centralized database, local downloads of information based on traffic patterns, and you could, you know, correlate that to employee patterns in an enterprise environment. So I think we've really, we're seeing that. And I think we have to look beyond just sort of the smartphone as the end all to be all to create those kind of frictionless secure environments. It's certainly an important component, but we've got to think in a more integrated meta kind of way to, to create those solutions that integrate both security and convenience. And Rob, do you have anything to add to that? I would like to, yeah. One of the things I'm, I'm trying to often put myself in the shoes of the chief information security officer or, or the director of physical security. 
I think frictionless security technology, like we're just talking about, is absolutely paramount. And I'll tell you why. I'm actually, I can't believe, maybe, maybe some of the audience have experienced this, but you can virtually now go into any convenience store and there is a kiosk there where you can actually replicate your key fob, your key, your card, your iClass card, your MyFair card, and it costs you $24. And I recently uh, experienced this in uh, San Diego. So there's a company that has 3,000 of these deployed in 7-Elevens. I've now, we've done some market research, there's about 8,000 of these kiosks across the convenience store market across the country, where it's like an automated uh, locksmith. And I think it's a great business that they're doing. It's very good for the consumer. It's a very convenient way to, to replicate your credential. But in the business enterprise setting, it actually just scares me. I mean, I just now good actors and bad actors can easily replicate any credential of which there are millions of them still out there being used. So the, the need, the security need to solve this problem has a new threat and must be solved. And I think biometrics and frictionless security technology is a critical part of you know, plugging this hole that has now found its way into the market probably in the last 18 months. And so um, I mentioned earlier about uh, behavioral biometrics. I do believe that it's a great way of making a frictionless experience because it's passively building information based on your behavior to make an assessment and build a template of the likelihood it's you which improves security. It allows the user not to actually have to do anything, but it could also be an augmentation to a, uh, an active biometric as well. So all that to be said, like this solving this problem at this particular time seems quite important. And now with everybody working at home, it's even worse. Like who's controlling these buildings when everybody's at home working? I mean, the security process was all designed based on after hours. And now you've got 24 hours a day, seven days a week, there's virtually no people in these buildings and all it takes is to go into a convenience store and replicate one of these cards and, and you're in. And uh, speaking of, of threats, within the biometrics industry, the past two years have seen major improvements in the area of, of liveness detection, otherwise known as anti-spoofing. How big of a threat is spoofing in an enterprise biometrics scenario and how is liveness detection addressing that threat? Max, let's start with you. Well, I think Rob was just talking about this situation, which is we're now talking about 24-7 access to, to physical facilities and certainly, you know, way beyond that with the virtual access and digital access. So it is critically important that we understand that the individuals that are accessing these systems are alive, that are, you know, that are not some kind of version of a replicant of a human, whether that's a mask or a video or whatever else, and that the person is actually real-time interacting with the system. And so you have to combine these different methodologies. I think, you know, as Rob mentioned, behavioral biometrics is certainly one way to do it, but really having a robust presentation attack detection solution is critically, critically important. And, you know, whether it's the enterprise or not, you know, we have to understand that our biometrics solutions are only as good as our is our ability to prevent people finding weaknesses and spoofing and and so on and so forth. So I think it's in every application. This is front and center now. It it, it was sort of an add-on thing. Now it's becoming a critical leading component of any solution that can reliably 
be called biometric security, not just biometric convenience. Mm -hmm. And I know, Rob, you were just uh, you know speaking to this, but do you have uh, anything to add about how liveness detection is addressing this threat? I think it's mandatory. I think we're so used to people being able to spoof their credentials. And I think we're, yeah, I think we're at a state, it's the year 2020. Anti-spoofing technology needs to just be part of what people are consuming to authenticate and establish trust in the person. And Gary? Yeah, the um, important thing to, to note about anti-spoofing is that there are obviously different levels as, as with any kind of security. And, and the mo typically the most stringent anti-spoofing technologies do rely on dedicated sensors. So the, the technology obviously exists where you can measure human characteristics or actual physical properties of the biometric being scanned as opposed to perhaps at a lower level where you're basing the analysis purely on, uh, let's say, a software approach or image analysis or any, anything in between. You can get combinations of the two. I think it's important just to mention this so that you know people do understand that the uh, level of a spoofing is not going to be the same you know, across all platforms, but that different technologies do exist for those ultra-secure applications. And I think just to add one other uh, interesting spin-off benefit of the frictionless approach, if you think about traditional biometric systems, whether it's fingerprint or face, in the past it used to be, you know, walk up to a device and present your biometrics once, right? Touch, touch a fingerprint sensor once. The advantage with frictionless technology, whether you're waving your hand through a sensor or uh, walking through a checkpoint and having your face scanned, is that now the systems have access to far more uh, samples of your biometric data, whether it's the fingerprint or the face, as an example. And it allows for, uh, let's say, a deeper analysis, which can feed into the spoof detection process. So I think uh, the, good, the good thing is, again, with the added processing power and AI behind these systems today, the spoofing detection is becoming much more reliable and uh, more uh, readily available as well on different platforms. When we talk about biometrics in the year 2020, we can't help but talk about privacy. With the controversy over, over facial recognition and law enforcement specifically, and the proposed bans all across the globe, it's worth digging into. How much of the privacy discourse stems from a confusion between biometrics for authentication and biometrics for large-scale identification? Zoe, would you like to start us off? Sure. I mean, I think that a chunk of it comes from the confusion, but I think that reality is that a significant part of the privacy discourse stems from legitimate concerns about the use of radical new technologies. And I think, you know, face recognition in particular, because of its ability to capture remotely, um, because of its integration with video security, raises a lot of really important questions about how we manage privacy uh, in this world. And I think that having a, a comprehensive perspective on privacy will enable us to use biometric authentication in places where it's critical. I think if there isn't a thoughtful approach to privacy, then it will become um, broadly looked at as a problematic technology. So, you know, while we educate the enterprise on how to manage privacy, I think it's really critical that we provide tools and support policies that protect privacy where it's critical and broader use. And Max? I really agree with what Joey said. And I think that the problem we have as an industry really is that we have never done a terribly good job of educating people about biometrics to the point where every day you can read articles in newspapers and blogs and on various tech and business websites that still, still refer to retina scanning and make really 
grossly inaccurate statements about technology. So I think that, yes, part of the sort of very visceral, immediate negative response to facial recognition is all of the sci-fi inspired and in some cases real life, we're seeing what's going on in China, inspired fear of, you know, broad-based wholesale surveillance. But we, we're going to have to do a way, way better job of really educating people and also as an industry really committing to some very well-defined and clearly thought out privacy imperatives. And I don't just mean that from the government's perspective or the end user perspective. I think the tech community really has to buy into this. And I've been saying this for quite some time, find ways to build that kind of protection into the technology itself. So I think there's a lot of work to do around this. And I think it's going to be a real challenge and an opportunity for this industry over the next few years. Gary? Yeah, this is always a very fascinating subject. Um, and, and again, it's one which has many different facets to it. So the, the most important thing for any organization is always to think very hard about disclaimers in terms of informing you know, participants in, the, in whatever program it is, whether it's a access control, time and attendance, a membership system, you know, whatever the use case giving clear information to uh, the enrollees about what they're what they're about to do but also having a good plan around opt-out opt-out programs typically tend to be the ones or at least programs that have an opt-out option are those that we see being most successful and a lot of the time and this is across every industry we see the same thing you might start off with an opt-out rate of a few percentage points but typically, after a few weeks or months of deployment, the opt-out rate tends to shrink because it is just often a matter of perception. The other thing is that uh, there are obviously different types of biometric systems, some that are, let's say, um, perceived as being more covert or, or those that you don't really know if you're being scanned versus those where it's very obvious because it's intention-based. And again, it's about choosing the right technology for the right location and use case, and, and again, doing it in a, in a responsible way. But I will say that one, one thing that we have seen change, while, although there are still many concerns around privacy, that dynamic has certainly changed a lot in the last five years where the overall acceptance and willingness to use biometrics has increased dramatically, especially in the access control uh, space. I think Gary's comment about the opt-in or opt-out nature of this is a really, really great comment. I think if the user feels that they're in control, then they're more likely to be accepting of it. And my second comment is, I think there's a difference between biometric authentication for access events versus by using biometrics for identification and surveillance. I think society is really is currently and will struggle with how to define that line because generally people are going to have great resistance to any type of biometric for the purpose of authentication um, unless they have the ability to opt out. So I think if they have the ability to opt out, then they might be more accepting of it because they feel that they're in control of that. But I, I know if you look at what's going on in China with how they're using really biometric surveillance as uh, authentication and command and control of their people. This is, uh, in North America, this would be seen as probably something in conflict with uh, sort of what people would consider to be their privacy. And 
how can a consent-based policy be implemented in a business deploying biometric security and how effective can that privacy-minded best practice go in ensuring regulatory compliance? We'll start with you, Gary. Thank you. Yeah, so tagging on from, from the comment I made earlier, uh, this is definitely the right thing to do. The good thing is that most biometric systems today, especially used in physical access control, will allow an alternate form of access. So for example, if it's an identification system and you want to provide the employee an option to rather uh, own their own biometric or store their own biometric rather on, the, on a card that they carry, you could give certain employees that option to do so and other employees could operate on a pure identification mode. On the other extreme, you could also let employees use a card and a PIN so that there's still two-factor authentication so that it's not uh, completely vulnerable. But we've seen many combinations of these different approaches work successfully. And as I mentioned before, usually once the employees, most employees who might initially opt out, when they start to see the benefit and the speed and convenience of, of uh, actually participating fully in the program, we usually see many of those uh, employees come back and convert to being, let's say, full opt-in participants. Again, this can vary by state uh, or by country in terms of the options that are offered, but it's definitely something that we see uh, working very successfully to alleviate those concerns. And Joey? Well, obviously Gary um, explained really well that there are some great options out there. And I think maybe I'd take a step back and say, even before that, the first thing that has to happen is the, the employers have to care. <laughs> they have to care that, uh, that alternates are important and that opt-in is important. And, and obviously, I strongly adhere to that philosophy, as I'm sure everybody on this on this call does. We need, as an industry, to give great alternatives for people that opt out, so they still have a good user experience. I mean, if we do our job right, biometrics should always be easier and and more secure. But employees should be given an attractive option for opt out, and and no stigma from the employer associated with that. And Rob. I'm all in on a consent-based uh, policy. I think if you do that or when you do that for the enterprise, you'll get higher levels of acceptance. When I think of how when originally when biometrics were uh, brought into border crossings, you know, many years ago, what was neat about it was if you were going to go and do a, a cross into another country, you had to go and, and meet with a, an immigration person and you had a choice. You could either stand in a long line and talk to somebody who will ask you questions as to whether they're going to let you in, or you can just use your, your at the time, your iris recognition and authenticate who you are and be, um, you know, have freer access into uh, your next step or movement into that country. And so the fact that that really was like an opt-in, like you could choose. And so it took some time, but people just naturally found their way over to using biometrics as a, as a more private way of being able to just uh, get access or approval to get access. So, I'm a big fan of opt-in, and when you do it, you're going to end up with most of your employee population on board with doing it. And Max? Yeah, I, I'm not sure I have too much to add. I mean, I think it's this This is just going to be the way we have to do things, and particularly in enterprise environments, forcing employees and customers and partners to participate in a authentication system that makes them uncomfortable is just not a good idea. So you have to you have to really create a really viable alternative, a consent-based system and give people the opportunity to become accustomed and comfortable to this kind of authentication and hopefully eventually be included so you don't have a huge 
percentage of the enrolled individuals using an alternative method. How can biometrics be deployed to enhance privacy? Rob? It's often thought that uh, biometrics are actually invading your privacy. And the interesting thing is it's actually the exact opposite because instead of using uh, an ID or a password or a token of some form or a card, if you, you actually can protect your identity further by using biometric information or using biometrics as the method of authentication or access to information. So it's actually the opposite. And um, it probably took, it's, probably took me several years to realize that subtlety, but it definitely is still very much in society that society views biometrics as an invasion of privacy, and it's the exact opposite. Max? I couldn't agree more, and I I have for a long time advocated Mm -hmm. a vision of um, using biometric identity service providers that would be independent parties that would do nothing but enroll, manage, secure, protect, your biometrics and authenticate on a on a transaction basis. And I, I think that if we start creating systems where in particular where we minimize the number of organizations that are actually holding biometrics, that we refrain from storing biometrics with other PII, that eventually you will move towards a dynamic where fewer and fewer organizations are holding less and less of your other PII because they don't need it. They don't need all that other information to authenticate you. They can rely on a third party that is a trusted source of verified identity. Then they can focus on holding the information that matters and not holding the information that doesn't matter. And whether this is, you know, within the enterprise itself or in terms of the enterprise's interface with partners, customers, both B2B and B2C, I think eventually you create a system where there's a lot less PII floating around in the world and you're limiting the uh, number of locations where biometrics are stored. And again, going back to something I mentioned earlier, you're storing biometrics in a framework that is designed specifically to protect them. And I think there's a lot of technologies that can be used now to do that. So as opposed to storing this data with PII in a typical relational database. So I think if it's biometrics deployed in a way that is really about privacy first and security, I think we really can create systems where our privacy is indeed enhanced and that we're all, you know, a lot better off with a lot less of our personal information floating around in various databases. Gary? Yeah, so I think two two points from my side here. The first is that privacy is something that uh, is obviously close to link, closely linked to your identity and the protection of your identity. And the bottom line is, unless you can positive, positively authenticate through biometrics during different transactions, you have no way of truly protecting your identity. So. The key message here is that biometrics is inherent in in your identity and protecting it. And to try to completely separate the two leaves many systems and many identities very vulnerable. But just on a a different note, you know, one of the the favorite cases that that I have is um, in the in the school uh, situation, K through 12 school environment, where another example of how biometrics can enhance privacy is where biometrics are used in school food programs to provide anonymity because in many schools in the past, 
kids who were being subsidized because they were coming from poor families were having to use uh, systems differently in, in the school canteens to, to get their lunches. And in many cases were being bullied as a result. And this is just one, one very different but very simple example of how that kind of strong identification but still providing a kind of anonymity through privacy is, is just yet another spin-off benefit that biometrics can offer. And Joey? So, well, on one side, I, I really strongly agree with everything that's been said in the context of identity and authentication. I, I think that there are reasons for concern around privacy and biometrics. And specifically, if you look in a post-Clearview world, in a post-Facebook world, in a world where uh, the Chinese government is using video security to restrict the, the civil liberties of certain populations, I think we need to take privacy very, very seriously from another perspective. And that is that biometrics and face recognition specifically are not appropriate for every environment. And we, we should be thinking about a set of solutions, probably standards, where some sort of deletion or obfuscation of faces in video can be ensured. You know, biometrics plays a role here because the best face detection will always be the best way to protect privacy in these environments. But I, I think quite firmly that there is environments where biometric identity is simply inappropriate and consumers, citizens beyond travelers should have a good sense of whether or not face recognition can be used in the environment they're in. And to wrap up our conversation today, I wanna to talk about the future of biometrics. What possible future faces the biometrics industry given the state of the technology and the current public discourse? Gary, let's start with you. Yeah, so just, just coming back to the last point again, when it comes to um, protecting our identities, um, in order to be able to secure, whether it's uh, you know um, access to services in a government environment, have a bank account, transact as a, as a human being on a day-to-day -day basis, all of these things at some point are going to rely on uh, our identity or identification. Um, biometrics is here to stay. I think that's something that um, we, we firmly believe. That's why we're in the industry. And what we need to do as an industry is com continue to evolve the technology so that it becomes more reliable in more use cases and applications. And also at the same time does go uh, even further in protecting the, the privacy of the individual's data. So we have uh, obviously come a long way in the last uh, few decades. But I think this is where the industry is clearly focused and particularly around trying to uh, standardize more and more so that the privacy across different systems and use cases can be uh, properly measured. Because today, I think there are still too many different databases that biometric records need to reside in. They're not necessarily controlled by, by common standards. And I think from we have so we have two different areas. We have a standards area that needs to be continuously enhanced. And also from a technology point of view, we have to keep delivering more and more uh, stringent solutions that uh, are more and more difficult to attack, obviously. And Rob? I think the only thing I can add to what uh, Gary just said there is that, well, firmly, we believe in the future of biometrics in many, many more use cases. And I think education would be the other comment I would make is that I remember recently I was in a meeting in New York City with some of the top financial institutions, there's about 200 people in the room and the topic of biometrics came up and you could see in the room that there was a fear associated with it. And it was striking to me to think, wow, here we are at this time of the evolution of the technology and that kind of reaction exists 
and yet biometrics are being used in the financial industry as a regular um, authentication method now. So it, it, I think education is still is still up there. It's something that needs to happen uh, because I think once you understand the technology and you understand um, how it's being applied, um, the privacy of the individual it can be much more secure. Max? Well, I think we're going to face some interesting times here in the next 6, 12 to 24 months. You know, the dynamics of the world economy have radically shifted. One of the places where we were seeing a, a, a lot of innovation and promise has been in the international and domestic air transportation market. And, you know, it's very uncertain right now what's going to happen with that. And so I think as an industry, we have to look at what's going on in the world right now and, and move ahead with solutions, the kind of solutions we've been talking about, certainly for the enterprise, here it makes a lot of sense, but also be thinking about, you know, how biometrics are going to work going forward. You know, again, how much change we're going to see going from touch-based to touchless technology, how we're going to begin to see biometrics maybe integrated. And we think about biometrics as authentication technology, but there's another definition of biometrics, which is really uh, measuring the metrics of a human being. And are we going to start to see an integration of the authentication technologies that we're used to with more what we would consider medically focused biometrics to deal with access control, to deal with airport authentication, to deal, you know, deal with those sort of things where we're starting to say we're not just screening for someone's identity, but we're now combining that with screening for their health. And I think that's going to be a huge opportunity that's going to open up. And I'm not even sure what it's going to look like, but I think there's tremendous opportunity there. So I think we're going to see more and more kind of solidifying of the mainstream application of biometrics to the sort of things we've been doing and talking about for the last few years. And then we're going to see this whole new area emerge where we start to combine it with health-based metrics. And then, of course, that exacerbates the entire privacy discussion and data storage and all the rest of it. So I think, you know, as the as the great Chinese curse says, you know, may we live in interesting times. I think we're in some very interesting times in biometrics and we'll see how that plays out going forward. Absolutely. And Joey, what are your thoughts about what future the biometrics industry faces? Well, I completely agree that we're at a pivotal time right now. And so even setting aside the challenges associated with with coronavirus and so forth, which are which are dramatic, and we I don't think really understand the implications of them yet. The biometrics identity industry was already at a critical point, and I think that we as an industry need to tackle. There's sort of a philosophical perspective and technical perspective, and from a philosophical perspective, topics like algorithmic bias and privacy need to be tackled head on. I think that we need to understand all different sides of the argument and come up with a a thoughtful perspective uh, on how to challenge what we think we know and deliver the right kind of solutions to the industry and the world at large. And then I think from a technology perspective, AI, deep learning, machine learning, computer vision, call it what you will, this this spectrum of capabilities that's evolved really over the last three to five years is dramatically impacting performance, efficiency, and great things around accuracy and liveness and some of the topics we've been talking about, as well as privacy protection mechanisms. So I think it's incumbent on us to really leverage the latest advances in computer vision machine learning and figure out how we apply them to solve some of the most challenging problems, whether they be algorithmic bias, aka differential performance or or privacy or beyond. Okay, great. Well, thank you all for joining me in this conversation today. It's been incredibly enlightening. Thank you all again.
so concludes our special panel episode of the ID Talk podcast presented in association with ISC West. I would like to thank all of our panelists for joining us on this episode. Rob Douglas, founder, chairman, and CEO of BioConnect. Maxine Most, principal analyst at Acuity Market Intelligence. Gary Jones, vice president of global channel and marketing at Idemia. And Joey Pritikin, chief product officer of Paravision. And of course, I would like to thank my co-host, Susan Stover, for moderating the panel. I would also like to extend an extra special thanks to Reed Exhibitions, ISC West, and its organizers for co-presenting this episode. Stay up to date on all the biometrics and converged security news you need by keeping posted to findbiometrics.com. Our podcast theme music is by Logamrad. I have been your host, Peter Counter. Thank you again for listening to the ID Talk podcast. Mm-hmm.